Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information, or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. This uh, past week, I finished reading one of the best books I've read in a very long time called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. The author, Jonathan Haidt, is a social psychologist who's been greatly influenced by the work of Emile Durkheim, who was a French sociologist who coined this wonderful phrase to describe humanity, homo duplex. And this idea that human beings are homo duplex is pretty straightforward, that we're all a biological organism driven by instinct, appetite, and desire on the one hand, but at the same time, people who feel a real pressure to conform to group norms and follow whatever moral compass we are handed by our society, our tribe, or our nation. And so Durkheim told a story of two divided selves within the human person, selves that are often at war and rarely, if ever, conscious of the other. Now, this idea of inner division, that what is happening on the inside is not always a unified, harmonious whole, this is not a new idea. From Aristotle to Augustine to Freud, many have been quick to point out that you and I have multiple selves. Even a bumper sticker I saw last week testifies to this truth. People say I have multiple personalities, and half of me believes them. And so to the extent, or to an extent, you and I get that there is some inner division going on, and we might even be able to laugh at it, but far less common is the capacity to see how division often slides into deceit and at how skilled we can be at ascribing noble motives to our actions when so often they really just serve our self-interest. After all, the word duplex and duplicity, um, they derive from the same root word. And as the late moral philosopher Eric Hoffer put it, Far more crucial than what we know is what we don't want to know about ourselves. And if we're honest, there really is so much that we do not want to know about ourselves. Many of you may remember uh, Mayor Dinkins, who had a a recurring guest spot on the show Seinfeld. Um, The real David Dinkins was once in hot water over allegations that he failed to pay his taxes, and he was questioned extensively about this, and I thought his um, response was clever. He said, now, I haven't committed a crime. All I did was fail to comply with the law. What Palm Sunday would have us know is the very last thing you and I want to know, which is that we have committed the crime. Because as much as I love that old hymn, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? The point of Passion Sunday is that it was not a they who put the nails in his wrist. 
Not a they who demanded that Barabbas be released. Not a they who denied our Lord three consecutive times. But a we. Jonathan Hearman was a 17th century German poet and hymnodist. And his favorite, or I'm sorry, his most famous hymn is entitled, Ah, Holy Jesus, How Hast Thou Offended? And in verse 2 of that hymn, which is number 158 in our Episcopal hymnal, Hearman writes this. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus hath undone thee. Twas I, Lord Jesus, I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. Now, to be really clear, I mean not to uh, take anything away from the real historical crucifixion of Jesus. As we say in our creed, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and in a sense, you and I were not there when they crucified our Lord on Golgotha Rock 2,000 years ago. But at the same time, our heart often commits sins that our hands have not gotten around to yet. Which is why in the Passion narrative we just read, it was we who screamed, crucify him. We who say, away with this fellow. We who mock, he saved others. Let him save himself. The implication being that had we been there, the story would have unfolded in exactly the same way. And so our task as we move into Holy Week is to take a look at our own duplicity, at the way that we nailed and nail our Lord to the cross, and if only for just one week, to have the courage to look at the cross itself. Because I want to tell you what the temptation is. The temptation is to look right past the cross and to see instead some ideal that we think the cross represents or symbolizes. Love, duty, sacrifice, solidarity, inclusion, whatever the cross means to you. And here's the thing, the moment we make that shift, faith ceases to be about the cross and instead becomes about our favorite ideal. And once we do that, we start to tell ourselves that as Christians, we're the people with a special call from God to embody this ideal for the rest of the world. And before you know it, we feel so special for trying to live out our Christian ideals and really, really self-righteous towards people who do not. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to try to cultivate virtue in our lives. But I am saying that the moment we stop looking at the cross, we cut ourselves off from the foundation from which virtue is built. And we forget what Palm Sunday would remind us, that we are the ones who need saving, that we are the ones who need healing, that we are the ones who need God's forgiveness, not they but we. And so with that said, here's what I want to leave us with as we journey into Holy Week as the people of God. 
I am well aware that to say that you and I were part of the mob that crucified Jesus is a really shocking claim. And if one were to believe that what I say is true, you might be tempted to feel some guilt. I think guilt is entirely out of place. A much more fitting response is desperation. For when the centurion proclaims certainly this man was innocent, the implication, of course, is that you and I are not, that we have committed the crime. Um, There's an old joke about a man who walks into a psychiatrist's office claiming to be invisible, and the receptionist calls the doctor, there's a patient who wants to see you, and he claims to be invisible. Well, said the doctor, tell him I can't see him right now. The point of Passion Sunday is that when the invisible God became visible in Jesus Christ, that we did not see him, we did not love him, we did not respect him, but we crucified him. And there is something about the depth of that failure that should engender a response of desperation. But of course, though Palm Sunday takes us there, the intent is never to leave us there. Because in our failure, we see the depth of God's unrelenting love revealed. You see, to claim that had we been present 2,000 years ago, that the story would have unfolded in exactly the same way, this is not all negative. Because what it means is that Jesus' death on the cross from God's perspective was not an accident or an oops. That in crucifying Jesus, humanity did not throw a wrench in God's plan to save us. But as we heard in today's epistle, Christ Jesus emptied himself. Christ Jesus took the form of a slave. Christ Jesus became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. In other words, the author of today's drama is not us, but God. And this is a great mystery, that God would choose death on a cross to reconcile us to himself and to each other and all of our duplicity, both the good parts and the bad, all so that God could say, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Yes, we committed the crime, but we did not know what we were doing. And in those moments when we crucify each other, when we rob others of the dignity that is theirs because it is God who created them, in those moments we do not know what we are doing. We are divided. And whatever part takes over, whenever we scream, crucify him, crucify him, this is never the full story of who we are or of the person God created, knows, and loves. For though we are divided, our God is one. And the one God knows and loves and forgives and even understands all the many different yous even the you that put the nail in Jesus' wrist. Yes, today we see our failure, but the love of God is never something we fall into. The love of God is something we fail into. 
Yes, we committed the crime, and indeed, the crime is great. But God's delight to save and God's desire to forgive is always so much the greater. Amen.